Welcome to From the Booth, the weekly podcast sponsored by BYU's International Cinema Program. I'm Chip Oscarson, one of the directors of International Cinema. This is our Week in Review podcast in which we discuss the films that just played at IC. Today we're going to be discussing the films that showed as part of our virtual program between the 18th and 21st of March. Because these films have already played, we'll be talking about them with no spoiler alert, so feel free to use the time codes in the program notes if you need to skip forward in the conversation to preserve crucial plot points. The films that we're going to be talking about today include Sophia, a social drama from 2018 by director Maryam Benbarek Aliosi about human rights and women's freedom in Morocco, Morgan, a gentle comedy on the Hungarian-Romanian border directed by Marian Kristen and Anka Piu from 2010, A Special Day, an Italian film from 2012 directed by Francesca Comencini that helps to prefigure the Me Too movement in some interesting ways. And then normally we would also have a documentary, but because of the COVID-19 shutdown, we've postponed this week's documentary, One Child Nation, for this fall as we have some special events planned in connection with it. Why don't we start with Sophia? To discuss Sophia with me, I have Marilor Oscarson, IC's assistant director. Thanks for being here again, Marilor. Good to be here. Um, why don't you start us off by just reminding us a little bit about what Sophia was about? Yes, it's the story of a 20-some years Moroccan woman who is pregnant without knowing this pregnancy. It's a, a denial of pregnancy. Right, pregnancy denial, which is kind of a a recognized psychological condition where you you don't know you're pregnant, your stomach doesn't grow, you know, particularly, and suddenly you're in labor. And this is exactly where the story starts. Her cousin, Lina, so Sophia has no idea, but Lina, who is a um, medical student, recognizes the signs. And thanks to Lina, Sophia is able to deliver this baby uh, safely. But according to Moroccan law, she has 24 hours to find the, the legal father. Otherwise, she, she can go to prison. It's against the law to be pregnant, to get pregnant, to deliver without the couple being married. So it's a little bit of a, of a social thriller as well, this search for, for the, the father and the consequences that are at stake. Right. And there's some important twists, and we'll get to those here in, in just a second. So at the core of this film, there's this interesting look at the, you know, what it means to be a woman in Morocco and the way that women in some ways have to bear a disproportionate burden uh, of this kind of social responsibility. But this film gets a lot more complicated than that, right? What we find as we move into the story is that who Sophia has said is the father is in fact not the father. And that what's really happened is that she's been raped by her father's business partner. And yeah. it's a very sensitive time for the family because there's a big transaction that's going down and they need the help of this partner. It would be a bad time for this to come out. Sophia is definitely about women's conditions in Morocco, but it's as well about class and power struggles, not only between women and men, definitely about this, but as well as a, as a social class, how moving from one class to another, there's a definite message about, about this in this film. So yes, the big twist is that she was raped. The filmmaker, uh, Maryam Ben-Barek Aliosi, said, said that she spent actually a lot of time with midwives and doctors who have helped women abort in some cases and so she collected a lot of stories and she said that her film is a collection of, of actually common stories. It's very banal in the Moroccan society, all these problems that women find themselves dealing with. 
so the the story of Sophia is this collection of of so many stories and she said that at first she wanted to set the viewer in a very comfortable situation of like knowing what's happening because this is like what we have as westerners the view that we have on Moroccan society or Arabic society at large is that those women are oppressed and there's just definitely a lack of of power, decision-making, and autonomy as well in many ways. But then with the twist, she wanted to as well show the social, like... Um, yeah, the hierarchy and the, the complications within the society that they're willing to... Well, there, there's things that, that happen in the society that perpetuate the very system that we want to critique, right? Um, so in other words, Omar, who she says is the husband, he comes from a lower the class father. home. Sorry, who, yeah, he says is the father. Comes from a lower class family. And so this is presented as, okay, so he didn't choose to be identified as the father and he's he's not the father of, of the child. But this is an opportunity for Omar to rise in, in society. He's going to be able to get a job because of this. Uh, the family's more wealthy and so they're going to be able to take, you know, take care of him. And this is kind of a parallel to the situation that Sophia is in herself, right? That by not making a scandal out of the whole thing, that her family's going to be able to rise in society. And there's a yet another parallel that her aunt, who's kind of behind all of this and is paying off the, you know, the police to get her out of jail and things like that, she's already done this exact thing, right? Where she capitulates that she doesn't marry for love or any other reason other than the fact that by marrying a Frenchman, that she's going to be able to have a certain, you know, kind of lifestyle. And it's an accepted and perpetuated thing that when the mother and the aunt find out that Sophia has been raped, their first reaction isn't, Okay, we need justice. We need to we need to make this guy accountable. It's let's just keep this, you know, let's just keep this quiet. That this doesn't need to come out. And for us, I think this is kind of appalling, right? That we're supposed to be quite outraged, you know, by this by this situation that we want justice. And and they're saying, "No, you've got to recognize that there's a situation here, a reality that it's not so simple as just achieving justice." And we can see in Sophia, this actress who actually she's she has a very mysterious uh, way about her mm -hmm. and we're wondering if she okay so she, we find out that she's clearly a victim but is still going on with this tragic story and fate as well so how does the situation that she finds so she finds Omar who has been kind to her in the past but she does not know him she does not have a relationship with him but yet it seems that in the film, he's the only one who has looked at her in a kind, benevolent right. way. Her cousin Lena is is very helpful, but even Sophia is accusing her of now spending time with her when she has completely disregarded her relationship in the in the past. So we're we're seeing this Sophia that's kind of like. At first, the first scene, she's she's a servant in the home. I mean, a servant. She she's is, she's yeah. the one who is helping, serving the the tea. No one else is st stepping up from from that table. She is the one, and it feels like it's this generation of young women who are not educated, and life is just like falling on them, and they have to deal with the consequences of other people's actions. And yet, uh, she's the one who is calling, I mean, she's choosing, and she's choosing Omar in in what I interpreted as a way to just help someone who's been kind to her come out of uh, his 
the poverty that he's in, this kind of social kind of like loop that just no one can come out of. Well, and it's all based on lies is, is part of the problem, right? So it's good for Omar, but Omar's not being given the chance to choose that. He's being thrust into it. It's either he goes along with it or he goes to jail. That's right. You know, that that's, that are, that are his, those are his only options. And so you, you're left wondering at the end, okay, so positive things can come out of all of this except for the fact that she was raped, right? That's and that right. the guy there's who raped no her is not being held accountable. Yeah. And so there's this fundamental inequity that's not just because he's a bad guy, which he probably is, but that the system itself is wrong. There's social injustice at the core of this that is just repeated. Right. And there's it seems like there is no end. So now the solution that she finds, so we can find it totally like unjust or we can find it I, I don't know that it's at an advantage but it feels like she's stuck and she can't really make anything else or choose anything else but is it to her advantage Arab news qualifies the the solution in the film that she that she finds as selfish do you agree with that she doesn't have any options it seems yeah. to me I mean it to, to call it selfish you know kind of blames her which I think is is a big problem since mm-hmm. she's the victim to begin with and I think that it's really, it's an indictment of the system at large. If you look at the way that Sophia is filmed throughout the film, there are these compositions where she is is centered in the, in the frame, um, these overly rigidly balanced compositions, this kind of frontal shot where we, where we see her, she's like pinned down the whole time. She's trapped between people on either side of her. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the composition that's repeated again and again and again that, I mean, at every turn she's trapped. So she's a, she's a pathetic figure more than anything else. And that she does make a choice, but, but it's not like she hasn't, all kinds of options, that she has this very limited number of options to choose from. I mean, I would actually push the whole reading of the film one step further in saying that there there seems to be a certain allegory of colonialism here, mm-hmm. and the cousin Lena represents this colonial voice, you know, that, that's coming and saying, no, we need justice, that, you know, we need to, it needs to be this way or, or that way. And she makes this comment a couple times in the, in the film where she'll say to Sophia, trust me, I'm sure, mm-hmm. right? As if Sophia doesn't really have a choice in the matter either that she's supposed to let Lena make the choice for her. And and this is suggested to us as being, you know, part of the problem. It's that paternalistic relationship that even though the things that Lena is asking for are good, especially from our Western perspective, right? Oh yes, she delivers the baby safely thanks to Lena. That's exactly right. You know, think of everything I've done for you, she says at one point. The mother, uh, Lena's mother, the aunt, is paying for Sophia to the bell for the gel. I mean, they're just every step of the way, they're they're right there. But it's true that... And these are all good things that we think, but there's, there's a fundamentally inequitable relationship that's being played out again and again and it's just it it it's part of the the bigger problem mm-hmm. and so i mean you're left with this kind of almost hopeless feeling oh, of there's yes. there's simply mm-hmm. not a good answer or or solution to this but i really like the way that it it really helps to refocus our attention that there's not only a gender dynamic going on here there's not only a class dynamic but there's a post-colonial dynamic mm-hmm. as well and and they're all linked they're all they're all kind of uh, you know have to do with this kind of inequity definitely 
Now we're going to turn to a special day and discuss this film. I've invited Professor Dan Paul, who's a professor of Italian here at BYU, to come talk to me. Dan, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, Dan, why don't we start with uh, you telling us a little bit about what you do here at BYU. You're a relatively recent hire. Mm -hmm. um, and what is it that you're, you are teaching and will be teaching here? Uh, so, so far I've uh, taught primarily our Introduction to Italian Literature course as well as our Advanced Grammar course in Italian. But next semester in the fall... Uh, I'll be teaching a course on visual culture in Italy, and so the idea for that is to look a little bit into Italian identities, national identity, what national identity means, um, and we'll also be looking at likely masculinity, gender, so a lot of interesting things coming up there that I think also connect to a special day. Yeah, no, sure. Well, you're the one who recommended this film to us. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was only natural that we would uh, that we return to you. We had hoped that you would uh, be available for a post-screening discussion, but because of our needing to shut down the public screenings, uh, this is the, the next best thing to be able to have you for come sure. in and, and talk a little bit about this film. Why don't you give us a little bit of background to the film? It's not a remake, but it's not the first time it's been made either, and, and maybe that's a good place to start. Yeah, I, and I'll preface my remarks by saying I've actually never seen the original in Jonas Speciale. Yeah. But from what I understand, it was, was a, a kind of shut-in of a homosexual male with a female. So I, I don't know if there's any connection between the two films. Interesting. Yeah. At all. Because that's that really, those things aren't picked up, you know, at all yeah. in, in this film. Yeah. I mean, there's some, I, I haven't seen the original, um, you know, version either. Uh, Marilar has, and she was telling me a little bit, you know, about it. And there's some there's some visual citations. The opening mm. scene, the opening sequence of the you know the woman getting ready, things like that. Seems to, there seems to be a kind of parallel there. But uh, you know, kind of aside yeah, from that, that, there's a few other connections. But it's it's interesting that it uses the same name, you know, of the film. Yeah. It certainly certainly wants to invoke it, but it yeah. doesn't seem to remake it in a strict sense at any rate. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to go back and and watch the original and see. That that's an interesting that there are connections there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so why did you re recommend this film to us? What was it that you know you made you think that oh okay this there's something important here for international cinema? I definitely think that there, in light of the hashtag Me Too movement, there's a lot to be said here on sort of female sexuality, the way that women are viewed in kind of Hollywood and in cinema in general. What interested me. There are a lot of things that interest me about this film, but one of the things that interested me in the years following this film, so it was 2012 when it came mm -hmm. out, the main actress, Giulia Valentini, was not in any other films. She was, this was kind of her first film, and if you've seen the film, it's a pretty scathing critique of the kind of system that's in place in Italy where one gets a position or can become an actress through performing sexual favors, through what what's known as the raccomandazione, so the recommendation. Uh -huh. And so she's meeting with this well-to-do politician and has to perform these kind of unsavory acts in order to become an actress. And, you know, I think in light of Harvey Weinstein and his recent... Yeah, it couldn't, couldn't be more timely. Couldn't be more right? prescient, right? Ways, yeah. That, you know, there's a lot that I think is going on in Hollywood and in Italy in relation to this sort of gendered regime of the cinema itself. And I think it's interesting that in the following years, the years following this film, that this actress was unable to kind of get parts in other films. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. because I think of of her participation in this this critique of in a sort of Weinstein esque 
environment. So has, did this film, it sounds like this film didn't move the needle at all. Have, have they been affected by what's gone on in North America with the Me Too movement in Italy? I mean, has there been a big discussion there as well that maybe you, you see things are changing somehow? I don't know if it's changing per se. There, there might be some movement there, but I know that, so for example, Dario Argento's daughter, Asia Argento, came out and sort of had a similar experience to mm -hmm. the women with Harvey Weinstein. And so she has come out and, and sort of revealed her her abuse by the system and by different directors. So I think it is sort of a systemic mm -hmm. um, issue that Italy is dealing with. And Italy is often late to the game in a lot of these things. So even things like masculinity studies, it's only recently kind of hit Italy. Mm -hmm. But I think there might be movement there. I, I, there I, I feel like there are actually more female directors like Francesca Comencini um, who are able to get their films out there and make films than perhaps in Hollywood, that there's there's been more space for women, female directors, than there has been in the recent past in, in Hollywood, I think. Hmm. And what, what are some of the things that ma that's making that change possible, do you think? I mean, is it just a, a gradual change in cultural attitudes, or are there things that are changing kind of within the institutions that support film that are kind of opening these doors more for, for women, or maybe a combination of these things? Yeah, I do think it's a combination of those. Um, I think that with, so with the arrival of things like masculinity studies, with the arrival of feminism in Italy, I think there's been some movement there, and people are thinking about it more. I think as well the sort of political environment has assisted in that as well. So mm -hmm. Silvio Berlusconi, who has been a sort of big <laughs> figurehead in yeah, Italy right. and Italian politics, has gotten out of office since 2012, I think was his last year in. But I think... He represented kind of an old school way of thinking about some of these issues, Exactly, I guess. yeah. And, and, you know, he's very famous for his bunga bunga parties where you have these female escorts that are brought to parties and this sort of sexism that I think is associated with that. So I, I think in certain ways, yeah, it's a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. um, there's definitely a, a cultural shift that I think wants to be able to tell female stories and wants female directors' voices to be heard. And at the same time, there are sort of these political shifts that are opening up the ways for for that advancement. Yeah, that's good. Well, let, let's turn to the movie yeah. uh, a little bit itself, um, a little bit. It's interesting because it sets itself up in some ways as kind of a romantic comedy uh -huh. for, for a big for a big part of the film. Yeah. And then it takes this dark turn, right? Yes. And, and it's in part, whenever we shift genres like that, kind of, you know, midway through, it, it's all the more jarring than mm -hmm. if it had been from the very beginning you know, that, that we saw that it was going to be, you know, like you're saying, kind of a scathing critique of the, you know, the film industry. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of genre shifts here. So one of the ways that I've read this film is as a road movie. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you get that feeling as, you yeah. know, they're traveling with, in a car. They have these various stops along the way. So as I researched on this film as a graduate student, and one of the parts of the film that struck me was this, this drive, right? So the drive is about a half an hour drive. It would be like from here to Thanksgiving Point. Yeah. So that sounds like a compelling movie, right? There. Right. Yeah. So um, as I was looking into this, I was actually interested in some of the the um, locations that they filmed at, and so there's this sense in the film of linearity, like mm -hmm. this is all taking place along the road that they're taking to uh, this meeting that that Gina is supposed to go to, and in fact, they kind of jump all over the place on this sort of eastern 
side of Rome. Mm -hmm. And so that linearity is kind of thrown off a bit by the way that these locations are visited and, and the order in which those locations are visited. Yeah. Do you think that an Italian audience would pick up on that? That, oh, wait a second, that's not, not here. I mean, the reason I ask, I think of a movie like um, Run, Lola, Run, right? This uh, German film from the, the 90s that does something similar with Berlin. And, and it's this very deliberate subversion of the geography of Berlin, right? Mm -hmm. That it's stitching Berlin together in a new way. And in a way that, I mean, we're talking about kind of real, you know, monuments sort of thing that people would recognize and, and say, wait a second, that's not next to that, right? And so right. It, it's creating a new geography. Is it doing that deliberately or is it just taking some cinematic license? Or? I think there's some cinematic license there. Mm -hmm. I think for Romans, they might have a, since the film, film is filmed in Rome and set yeah. in Rome, Roman inhabitants might have a better idea. Okay. Um, there are some, so the shopping center that they go to is is pretty well known. Yeah. The Spanish steps are also right. pretty well known. Sure. So there are some landmarks that I think a lot or the majority of Italians would be able to recognize. Yeah. But yeah, I think there's a little bit of misconception going on there, a little bit of deceit going on there. Yeah. I think the film is also about class. So you have this idea of talking about there's a highway that goes around Rome, sort of like you would have in any of the big cities, so mm -hmm. Chicago, Salt Lake. And the distinction there is lower class on the outskirts, upper class in, you know, sort of the center of the, the city. Right, she takes offense early on and that he says that he lives just inside. She's exactly. Like, I'm just outside, what's the big deal? Exactly, you know, like, oh, yeah. No, yeah. That. yeah. And so, you know, I think the, the possibility of Gina becoming an actress is this aspiration to a sort of lifestyle mm -hmm. that isn't envisioned between this, this dichotomy of rich inside, poor outside. Yeah. That... They're also, you know, she's also trying to overcome those boundaries. And within the car itself, I think you see that, right? So yeah. in the beginning, she's in the back seat of the car. At a certain point in the film, she moves to the passenger seat. And at one point, Mark even lets her drive. So you have this sort of shifting boundary of, of yeah. within the car itself. And then when, you know, as she's actually going to the meeting and deciding that she's going to go to the meeting, she moves into the back of the car again as though she's a client. And so, you know, I think you see these these class shifts yeah. in different ways in the film, in interesting in interesting ways. Yeah, that it reminds me actually of Parasite. That this is a the Korean film that we just mm -hmm. screened. That this a point is made right between that there's a boundary. You know, that the chauffeur is not supposed to cross that boundary because it's a class boundary. Right. right? And it plays out actually in the cars. You know, among, among yeah. other sites. Yeah. You know, for for that film too. That's that's really interesting. Tell me a little bit about the relationship with the mother. Which I, I find, you know, once you get, it's very, you know, touching in the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. Her kind of helping her daughter get ready. Mm -hmm. But it kind of, in retrospect, becomes sinister by the end of the film in that, does the mother know what she's preparing her daughter to do? I mean, she, she knows full well what, and, and the mother's probably been subjected to something roughly similar in a, you know, kind of misogynistic culture like this where women are, you know, viewed in a certain way or that you know, women's behavior is expected to be in a, in a certain way. You know all this preparation, sending her daughter into the lion's den, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. She, I, she's very much aware of what she's doing. In fact, I think her entire family is. So you have these moments at the beginning of the film where they're sharing breakfast, where they kind of look at Gina as she's dressed in this beautiful dress and is all made up, right? So you have this makeover yeah. trope that is pretty common to the rom-com genre, yeah. and kind of twisted in a. a kind of sick way that you don't understand until the very end, right? Yeah. 
on the one hand, I think that we're meant to sympathize with her and, and understand her plight. And at the same time, I think it's a, a sort of post-feminist critique of womanhood and of, of women in general that, you know, there's something about female sexuality that needs to be controlled and there's something that the, the mother participates in that in some way. And yeah, and the fact that she, you know, knowingly sends her daughter to commit these unsavory acts, to call yeah. them, is is very dark. Yeah. Um, this is pretty common of Italian cinema, right? That there's not a happy ending. <laughs> we don't need a happy ending. Yeah, um, and we we can't really hope for a happy ending. Those are the those are the exceptions to the rule, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, let, let's you know, we can finish by talking a little bit about the ending. So the ending of a road movie. I like you know, I like thinking about this movie as a road movie. I hadn't thought about it in those terms. Yeah, a road movie you know, usually ends with some kind of redemption or salvation or something like mm-hmm. that, right? So how do you, how do you, you know, make the, how do you read the end of the movie? It doesn't. Um, mm-hmm. So there's something also very Cinderella-esque about the end. So Marco gets this shoe that she's left and he yeah. fixes this shoe and goes to find her. And unlike in Cinderella, the, the princess is not identified, right? Mm-hmm. She doesn't come out from this this room and she's left staring at a TV which sort of encapsulates, at least to me, her, her kind of future. Yeah. That, you know, that's what she wants to do. She wants to be on television. She wants to be an actress. And so, you know, she's kind of contained in that world through, yeah. her, through her actions. There, there isn't. But we, we see it as a capitulation, though, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, throughout the movie, there's this emphasis on Gina's body, right? So you have the makeover. You have... Uh, plucking of the eyebrows, you have doing hair, yeah. getting in this beautiful dress. So a lot of focus on the body. Um, and I think the same can be said for Marco. So Marco is obsessed with the car, right? He doesn't want her to put her feet up on the dashboard. Yeah. When they go out to the field, he makes sure that they clean their shoes off before they get into the car. So, you know, there's this equation, I think, of female body and male body, and the male body is the car, right? <laughs> okay, yeah. And so... The fact that at the end, Marco goes and scratches the, the bends with, his, with the key and kind of makes this sort of sign of protest yeah. might be the redemptive feature of the road film, that there's a male that's involved in saying this kind of culture isn't right, that we can't continue yeah. this sort of exploitation of women. But for the most part, it, it's just a dark yeah. and sad ending. Yeah, well, yeah. it's kind of a hopeless situation as the whole Me Too movement is right. bringing to light, right? right. That there exactly. aren't easy, easy ways to, to yeah. solve you know, something that's kind of deeply ingrained within a culture and yeah. within a system. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dan, thanks so much for, for being here with no us. No problem. Um, you've really helped me see some things I hadn't noticed in this film. Yeah, thanks again for having me.